Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, BLM Brandon, he's the mayor of Chicago, don't you know? He had a busy day yesterday rationalizing violence. Uh, First, it was casting the deciding vote on this... uh, ceasefire resolution uh, to express uh, the city's support for Hamas terrorists. Uh, So that was uh, a big moment for BLM Brandon. And then uh, a little bit later in the day, he had to go over to Sen High School and rationalize away the street violence that policies he supports has exacerbated after another CPS student was gunned down outside of high school. Yeah, it was actually three students. They were walking home, right, broad daylight, right in front of the high school. They get out at about, they have later dismissal than average CPS schools. They get it out about 3.30. And guys jumped out of a car and ambushed these three kids. One's dead. One's in critical condition. The yeah. other one got shot in the leg. Right. And one got gunned down. Three were shot, as I said. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying I was giving a little more detail. But yes, they uh, and Brandon Johnson showed up and I would love to play the audio for you, but it's not on the board here. Um, but yeah, basic- here, here, here's Brandon Johnson at the crime scene. The loss of life is horrific under all circumstances, but it is especially harsh when our young people are targeted. Yeah. Uh, except in the womb, right, uh, BLM Brandon. Uh, and he, he went on to talk. I mean, this is a bizarre sort of statement he makes uh, at the scene in response to uh, one kid dead and two others shot. We're not going to allow these acts of terror to disrupt our livelihoods. My children will be in school tomorrow, and children across this city will be in schools tomorrow. And we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that our young people are safe. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 646-36, type in DA, then a quick comment. Well, somebody asked him, you know, do you feel safe sending your kids to school? That's why his answer was all, you know, I'm going to send my kids to school. But you know what? We need police presence. That's what we need. Right now, because we've had, you know, the shooting at um, Innovation. Innovation High School and then the one, you know, this it's been less than a week. We've had three kids shot. Uh, I don't think it's a big fatally. deal. Uh, I, it's not a big deal because, as I've been told, as we all have been told, uh, violence is on the wane in Chicago. Everything is, uh, the policies are working. That's what uh, both Jelly Belly and BLM Brandon said at year's end, celebrating a modest reduction in homicides, even though other violent crimes had spiked year over year, and the modest decline in homicides, again, was off 30-year highs. But that context that context does not matter because the policies are working, violence is going down, and you just have to give them more time to work. That's all. 
Yeah, right? they make these declarative statements. You know, he did says yesterday, we need to come together as a community to stop this. What the hell does that even mean? I mean, my God, Ascent High School, they're trying. They had a shooting back in 2022, December 15th. This kid, John O'Neill, was killed. Uh, and it's kids that I know n- knew him, and they were devastated. And then this happened. And I have seen firsthand that Dean, Dean Walsh at Sun High School, walk kids, because we have a good relationship with them. We, we're there. We're like sister schools. But I, and when I roll up, you know, for a game or a scrimmage or whatever, I see him personally walking kids to their bus stops to make sure that they get home or try to get home safely. And they're trying and it's not working. And it makes um, me, and, and I don't know. And they said today they're going to have more police presence, you know, at the start yeah, of school and at the yeah, end of school. Right. How, how are you going to do that across uh, a couple of hundred high schools? That's what I, that's the first thing I said to you, Dan. How's that going to happen? Um, so, um, by the way, in both of these high school shootings, uh, the kids were targeted. Right. So um, does anybody, is anybody interested in what the kids were involved in? Or they were targeted for no reason. Well, targeted means specifics, not random. Right. So what were they doing? Does anybody want to have that conversation? No, nobody does. So fine. Uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, everything's fine. It's working. The people that uh, we put in charge are getting the job done. Things are going well. It's going to take time. We're going to break a few eggs and don't make a big deal about it. Okay. Good enough for me. Bill and Glenn Allen, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. These these dead kids are a direct result of the Democrat Party policy. I mean, there's no way to get around that. There are no cash bail and everything. When they find these shooters, if they ever do, odds are they won't. You'll you'll find out that these guys have been arrested over and over and over again and released by Democrat Party prosecutors facing Democrat Party judges who gave them no cash bail, let them walk, or big bargain down the gun charges, which would have put them in jail for for years. But because they dropped the gun charges, they walked. And until people stop voting for these Democrats, this is going to continue to happen. So where can our sympathy be? When people continuously walk into the voting booth and vote for this to happen year after year. after I mean, the Democrats have been in charge of Chicago since 1931. And how is that fair for, like, the black community in Chicago? Well, again, you know, we're, I think thanks for the call, Bill. I think we're still in the probationary period for uh, Democrat socialist uh, domination of Chicago. So. Yeah, I know it's been uh, almost 100 years, but, you know, again, I say give it time. The policies are working. Violence is on the wane. Trust in the people that you put in office. Right? What more is there to say? Tom in Deer Park. Dan and Amy, good morning. I have a question, Um, Dan. When do you think the streets are going to feel the impact of the Cardinal Supich slash J.B. Pritzker ban on modern sport rifles, so-called. Oh, you, oh Tom, did Tom, Tom cut out? All right, thanks for the call. When, when are, yeah, I got the point. When is When are we going to see the positive impacts of the Supich, Pritzker, Johnson, Welch, Harmon assault weapon ban? You know, the so-called the assault weapons, the ban on some scary-looking 
semi-auto rifles, uh, uh, while other semi-auto rifles that are less scary looking are not banned, while other semi-automatic handguns. Are, yeah, you get the point. Uh, we got enough gun owners in our audience. I think they get the point. Yeah, yeah. Right. When is that going? When are the fruits of that uh, that important legislation keeping kids safe? I remember. I remember mm-hmm. Jelly Belly up in uh, Highland Park after the horrific Fourth of July massacre up there. And uh, this was the work product of it, is the, uh, the ban on some semi-automatic rifles. And so, I, you know, again, they tell me it's working, Tom and others. So I'm just going to have to take them at their word. And I'm sure if you asked Jelly Belly and BLM Branded, they would say, well, the, the reductions, what's working, are things like the assault weapon ban. And so that's why we saw that modest decline in homicides last year. So, again, these are... You know, I'm going to do that. Let's 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 all do the dance together. Uh, these are terrible incidents and our hearts go out to the families and let's have a vigil and um, let's, you know, keep our kids safe and let's come together as a community. As you said, Amy, as BLM Brandon said, always yeah, come together as a community, mm-hmm. uh, maybe make up some uh, novelty T-shirts to commemorate the lost lives. I mean, is this being callous or is this what we're told? So I'm just repeating back what the response is from your political leaders, for, um, I don't know, the last half a dozen mayors at least. I think we need to start with the gangers, the gangbangers, because, I mean, I'm looking into the social media history of 16-year-old Davion Gibson. He was the one that was killed yesterday, and then the two kids at Innovations. And, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going around out there. No one's, you know. What does that mean? There's I, I a lot just, of stuff going around out there, like suggestions that they were involved in gangs. Yes. And, you yeah, know, well. flashing arms on social media and, you know, it's just disgusting behavior. And why don't we police that first and take the I mean, they, the cops know who these kids are. They know what they're doing on social media. Well, so what do you want them to do? I don't know. Pre, pre-arrest, pre-crime, are we minority report? No, you can't do it. So, no, I mean, we, we have just to have a free speech. I know that, but they're minors waving around weapons. Yeah, no, no, no. These are all the, 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 I mean, not speaking ill of the dead, but let's be real. These are all honor students. They were turning their lives around. The shooters, the victims, right? They were all honor students. Baby boys that were uh, gunned down uh, senselessly. Except, what do we know about them? Although we can't talk about the stuff, we can't talk about that. It just no—it's working, and everything's fine. Just again, don't ask questions. Um, offer the same empty sentiment that you heard from BLM Brandon, and you know, as he as he said so eloquently, we're not going to let this interrupt our livelihoods. Let's get back to business, folks. When COVID, that's all they did was interrupt our livelihoods. But this isn't going to interrupt our livelihoods. Okay. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. 
I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, I hope everybody is uh, donning their uh, symbolic keffiyeh and ululating along with the protesters this week because... Your voices were heard. Yay! We did it. How are the we going to ca- celebrate, Dan? Chicago City Council uh, passing a symbolic resolution in support of Hamas terrorists yesterday. Um, professional courtesy, I suppose. Uh, they uh, uh, the tie-breaking vote for the resolution cast by BLM Brandon earlier in the week. Remember, there was this. Uh, CPS student walkout. Right. Many of them wound up at City Hall where mm-hmm. they had a nice little drum circle session. I mean, who could argue with <laughs> such a persuasive case as they made at City Hall? And apparently, um, uh, well, half of the city council plus a mayor could not argue because that's how the resolution was passed. And, uh, boy, you know, uh, there's some tears. Uh-huh. It was emotional. Um, Italian-American bigot, alder human uh, Rosanna, Rosanna Dana, she uh, <laughs> she had this to say. Alder woman Rosanna Rodriguez overcome with emotion. We are a city council, but we also know that what we say here in Chicago matters. Oh, it sure does. Uh, it did. She's so proud. I feel very proud um, of Chicago because I think that our voice is really important in the political, in the national political landscape. We are a progressive city. Yeah, there's no question Benjamin, about it. Yeah, any word from Benjamin Netanyahu this morning if Israel's going to stand down and they're going to stop defending themselves? Right. Um, yeah. So, uh-huh. um, by the way, whatever happened that the, the Italian American heritage group that was supposedly going to get the Columbus statue back and do all sorts of other things, spent a lot of time talking about how the Soprano should be taken off the air because it yeah. uh, paints a caricature of Italian Americans. And uh, yet when you have a alder earthling like uh, Rosanna, Rosanna Dana there, who says the greatest accomplishment of the Italian uh, people is uh, the uh, invention of the cannoli. I didn't hear a word from them. Oh, that's right. Matt. Oh, she's so ugh. And it's Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez. Yeah. But I like Rosanna, nice, Rosanna nice, Dana. That's, that's nice. Nice rolling of the R's. Uh, alder earthling Deborah Silverstein. Uh, got introduced to the party to which she affiliates, and her husband, former state senator Iris Silverstein. Welcome to your party, Alderman Silverstein. 
We should not pass a resolution unless it makes clear that Hamas cannot and should not attack again. Aren't you cute? Yeah, she's the only Jewish alder person. Aren't Uh, you cute? Yeah, my my favorite is Jesse Fuentes. Do you know who she is? This is why we're doing this, Dan, okay? It's about the children. The purpose of today is to let our Palestinian constituency, our siblings know that Chicago stands with them. They matter. Okay, right, I know. Chicago stands with Hamas terrorists and other supporters of Hamas. So Chicago is thrown in with supporters of a terrorist organization that committed the worst atrocity against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. I I get it. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm persuaded. Thank you, Alder Earthlings who supported and explained your position. I appreciate the transparency. It's very helpful. Very, very helpful. Um, Yanam Cohen, who we've had on the show uh, several times before, he's the uh, general counsel for the uh, for uh, Israel in the Midwest. He had this to say about the resolution. This resolution would not have an impact in the Middle East. This resolution would just grow more divide among communities in the city of Chicago and provoke more anti-Semitism in the city. No, 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 no. He must not have heard. The community is together. The, 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 these uh, older earthlings, along with BLM Brandon, have brought the community together. Together to stop violence, together to eradicate hate. Don't you feel the togetherness? Or is it just me? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in da then a quick comment. You know I what mean, I would do? Oh, go yeah, ahead. Well, well I was no. going to say instead of you know voting yesterday for a ceasefire in Gaza, and this is not cliche, they should have voted for a ceasefire on the streets of Chicago. Well, what is that? What is that going to do? I don't know, but I'm well. What's the ceasefire in Gaza going to do? Nothing. Nothing. They're, they're, just they're equally of, yeah, yeah, they're equally irrelevant. But so it's, is the city council. I know. City councils are relevant, too. They're so embarrassed. I mean, it's embarrassing. Um, Oh, I think we're well beyond the the stage of being embarrassed. I mean, again, as we were talking about with the situation of violence and the the shootings outside Sun High School before Mike Scott's newscast, look, this is a time for blind faith in your leadership. It's not a time to ask a lot of uncomfortable questions. It's not a time to challenge authority except to do what, you know, the mob wants, like those protesters who shut down Lakeshore Drive, who were at City Hall, who walked Ugh. out of CPS. That, that, that is, we are not to question them. We are to throw in with them. Our, your leaders, in quotation marks, have, so why shouldn't we as well? Here's what I would do if I was one of the uh, alder uh, humans who voted against this resolution if i was one of the two or three alder humans who had you know some common sense lived like you know generally speaking on this planet two feet planted right there was a measure that was taken up by the uh, house in dc it was to prohibit the admission into this country of aliens who carried out, participated in, planned, financed, supported, or otherwise facilitated attacks against Israel. So anybody who was a material participant in the October 7th terrorist attack committed by Hamas, um, you know, like the uh, 
United Nations. Um, anybody that, uh, who is a participant uh, cannot gain admission to the United States. It's just straightforward. I mean, That's I can read great. you the language. It's, it's, it's black letter. It's straightforward. It is not confusing. Um, now, of course, it, that, it's almost basically it uh, it's, takes the power of a resolution since we have open borders. There's no real way to uh, enforce this because there's nobody in charge interested in enforcing it. But the, the sentiment of the legislation. So why should somebody, uh, you know, one of the, the few commonsensical aldermen, why should they take this measure up and it proposed in the city council? Because it'd be really interesting to see who wouldn't sign on. Um, there were two members of the House who voted against that. They voted against a measure that would prohibit Hamas terrorists and Hamas collaborators from gaining entrance into this country. Two members of the Socialist Spice Girls, unsurprisingly, oh, Rashida Tlaib and Cori Bush. So if Rashida Tlaib and Cori Bush voted against this measure, I can bet that uh, some of those alder earthlings you just heard from, Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, Fuentes, others, I, I can guarantee you they would not sign on. And that would be a moment. Flip the script on them. Why, why, you know, our side never is like thinks about these opportunities to jujitsu, the um, inanity that emanates from the new Marxists. But flip the script and present that for consideration. Deborah, I'm sure Deborah Silverstein would uh, sign on. Maybe she wouldn't. Maybe she's so ideologically wrapped in sanctuary city designation that she couldn't do that either. We we couldn't. She, nobody. They can't bring themselves to say. Terrorist plotters and murderers should not gain entrance into this country. I, I would love to to uh, impose that litmus test on the Chicago City Council. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be. I mean, maybe Alderman Lopez would do it. He yesterday he stood up. He said, "You don't care about fifty thousand Catholics who were killed in Nigeria. You know, there other people are getting killed in conflicts around the world." But then Scott w- Waspack, who Legus I thought was. Pack. Yeah, I know. I, I butcher his name, but I've been doing it success, successfully. Just, for, just come up with a nickname. Like Wags. Call him right, Scott, wa- or Scotty like Wags. Wagyu, like Wagyu meat. Wagyu. Yeah. Spelled, By the yeah. way, um, speaking of Wagyu, I don't know if you yeah. know. Maybe we'll get to it later. There's a high school in Kansas that I've is now serving Wagyu beef on the uh, cafeteria menu. Yeah, and I applied to be their varsity volleyball coach. Are you kidding me? Really? That's great. I love Wagyu. It's so expensive. But anyway, yeah. back to Scott Wagyu. Yeah. This is, and I want to get your reaction, Dan. This was his reason for voting no. I'm voting no today because of the divisive process that I was worried was disrespectful to some of the members of those communities, but also with the disrespect among colleagues. Uh, so he's not voting because of the issue. He's voting against the process. Yeah, what, what a that's mealy way out. I mean, I, I agree with you. Yes, that ugh. is that was mealy mouth and pathetic. But I mean, again, mealy mouth and pathetic. Those adjectives are synonymous with Chicago City Council. So I can't generate much surprise. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Philip in Blue Island, you're on Chicago's Morning oh, Answer. Boy. I'm listening to um, um, like South Africa and. And the United Nations, and South Africa, other city, the city council, uh, South Africa. Wait, the South yeah. Africa that's that's governed by uh, the Communist Party. That's South Africa. So you, you yeah, label okay. it any way you want to. Well, I'm not labeling uh, it. I'm describing reality. But you, okay, go ahead. 
All right, South Africa, you're listening to the U.N., uh, the U.N. that had that uh, relief agency that we provide funding to have to fire, what was it, 14 people because yeah. they were material participants in the Hamas terrorist attack on October 7th? That U.N.? Okay, I right, got it. That's South Africa and that U.N. Got it. And I just wanted to set the foundation. Now go ahead, Philip. Okay, and then, uh, like, the city council, and I was hearing this video uh, about, uh, I guess it was the Florida State House, and a representative was saying how many Palestinians have to die, and then one Republican um, uh, says, kill them all. So, again, this is, and then your argument is that everybody is in support of, of Hamas. Nobody no, I'm not saying everybody is. I'm saying that 23 city councilmen and the mayor are supporting Hamas, but go ahead. Okay, so, but again, if I was to listen just, just blatantly to your argument, uh, or completely to your argument, it just seems like everybody is in support of Hamas, and you know that's not true. I think most people are in, 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 in horror of what we're seeing happening to babies. And this is this, this representative in Florida said that one-year-olds... One I, I don't know the representative in Florida, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not stipulating that you're well, describing it correctly. I, how, about, how about focus on something we do know, the Chicago City Council, and make your argument about the 23 plus the mayor who voted for that resolution. Why don't we stick with and that? Then, then, and then all of the, I mean, even the children themselves know. When they walk out of school and go to city halls all over the United States, when people are protesting all over the world in support of, uh, not in support of genocide, uh, and not even against Israel, because there's, there's so many factions, there's so many fights going on inside of Israel against Benjamin Netanyahu itself. So, 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 so you would have been, would you have been a, a yes vote for the resolution, would you, Philip? To end, to end the, uh, to force ceasefire? Of course, yeah. 100%. Oh, of course, Why not 100%. you? 100%. Well, I mean, I... I I, I, have you do you, yeah, you listen I think to the show? Israel has a right to defend themselves. You listen to the show. What what does a ceasefire? What does a ceasefire mean? What does it mean? What's, what's the implication of it? Why don't you repeat? Uh, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free while you're at it. What does it mean? From the river to the sea, if Israel was to say that, and and as in the midst of them demolishing Gaza. Right. And then Demolishing Mr. Gaza, um, uh, I'm sorry, Israel didn't have control over Gaza. They relinquished control some time ago, right? I mean, it was the Palestinian Authority that's in charge of Gaza. The Palestinian Authority is in charge of Gaza. so much smarter. You are so much smarter. Is, it's not. The Palestinian Authority was not, in char- is not, uh, was not the governing organization in, uh, in Gaza. You know that Israel controlled everything in, in Gaza, especially coming uh, in appar- and out. Appa- I mean, apparently not. You know, uh, I, think, I, think, I think October 7th sort of gave lie to that, didn't it, Philip? Thanks for the call. Pleasure as always. You know, the ceasefire, all this uh, stop genocide. It's the typical... I mean, and, and somebody like Philip, of course, is buffaloed by this because he wants to be. It is the typical sanitized sloganeering that belies the underlying substance of the position. Right. And people and, without God need something else. So COVID's over. So now we have this. Well, well OK. But the position of ceasefire now, as we've talked about from the beginning mm-hmm. of the response to the terrorist attack is... Let Hamas get away with it. It let Hamas, give Hamas time to regroup. Give Hamas leaders time to flee. Don't hold Hamas accountable. They murder fourteen hundred Israelis 
attending a concert, and the response should be, give them a pass. Maybe if at some point you can catch up with a couple of the of the orchestrators and the Hamas leaders, then you know you can, pros- yeah. you can prosecute them in a court of law. Maybe you know have them do some sort of alternative dispute resolution where they have to do forty hours of community service. I mean, that's sort of the attitude. I'm of course being hyperbolic, but that's the attitude, and it's certainly the attitude of these mindless ceasefire jihadists in our midst. George in Naperville. How about this sign for city residents? I stand with Sin City, Chirac. All right, George. Uh, Phil in Maryville. Yeah. Hey, Dan, maybe you can help me out. What is this resolution doing besides wasting taxpayer dollars? Because how is this going to affect anything overseas whatsoever? Oh, Thanks, guys. Not- Thanks for the call, Phil. It's not, but I mean, what would the city council do if they weren't wasting taxpayer dollars? That's what they do. I mean, we've been they've been discussing this for months, and they've had to cancel city council meeting after meeting because of all the protesters that were there. Even yesterday, when they voted for what the protesters wanted, they still wouldn't shut up. They had to kick them out, and then they recessed mm, for an hour. Whatever. I mean, come on. Whatever. I mean, it's just this is just entertainment. But that's all, that's what we want. It's Spinning fine. our wheels. You want. Uh, the Carlos Ramirez Rosa to uh, give a little shoulder shiver to some uh, elderly, older human and this whole fight that, yeah, as you said, has been uh, rolling for a couple of months till we get to this historic point and everybody's yelling and screaming. And then we're supposed to, you know, weigh in on this like it's important and these people are serious and something is getting done. And I mean, come on. Thank you, Alder Human, for voting for it. Thank you, Alder mm-hmm. Human, for not voting for it. And, and what? I mean, honestly, the city. But hey, blind faith. Be more like Philip from Blue Island. Blind faith, beat people. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM560. The answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg came before the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday for 
the typical pillaring that a social media CEO gets to no particular effect. I mean, it's the senator's opportunity to pontificate and renew, in the case of Josh Hawley, renew calls for elimination of the Section 230 exemption for these social media platforms, which has been bandied about in D.C. for several years now, hasn't it? Uh, So the um, heated rhetoric came fast and furious in Mark Zuckerberg's direction, starting with uh, Lindsey Graham. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. Well, Do social so media. Southern tough. Yeah, yeah. Chicken hawk, Lindsey Graham, I know. Uh, do, do, uh, does Mark Zuckerberg have blood on his hands? Does he owe the parents of uh, teenagers, many of whom were in the audience of young people, and uh, there was that moment uh, you'll hear in just a second, and the number of parents that stood up holding up pictures mm. of their kids, I assume that's because all of those young people died one way or the other yeah uh, mostly by suicide right That's and some what... of them were abused there were you know child pet predators got to them by you know via snapchat via facebook and they pretended to be other teenagers and one was suicidal but she survived but her mom was still there holding up a sign of her picture saying you almost killed my daughter mm-hmm. um so this was that moment uh, first holly excoriating zuckerberg and then asking if he'd like to apologize to the parents, and this is what he did. 37% of teenage girls between 13 and 15 were exposed to unwanted nudity in a week on Instagram. You knew about it. Who did you fire? Senator, this is why we're building all the tools. Who did you fire? Uh, I'm I'm not going to answer that. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? No one should have to go through the things that your families have, have suffered. And this is why we invest so much and are going to continue doing industry-leading efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. So, uh, first of all, does Mark Zuckerberg owe those families an apology? And uh, follow up, if he does owe them an apology, how did you find his apology? 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswerline. 64636DA Turnkey Pro text line. And I'd also like to throw in there who's more insincere, KJP, when she's talking about the three soldiers who were killed by an, a drone attack, or Mark Zuckerberg? Because uh, I so think. So I that guess you think he, was owed an, he owes them an apology and you were not moved by his apology, is what you're saying? Not at all. And neither was this mom whose son Riley died. Riley died on March 30th, 2021, when he was a victim of sex exploitation on Facebook's Messenger app. When he stood up, he said, I'm sorry for your pain. But, he, but I don't really think he's sorry for my pain. Yeah, and she didn't, a lot of the parents in the audience did not buy it. But does he owe them an apology? I mean, he has a platform where this kind of activity has been taking place. And he could throw money at it. He said he spent over $5 billion on safety and security last year. But is it working? Well, yeah. I mean, there's that was sort of what um, I think there was some legitimate uh, pushback from a couple of the senators on what Zuckerberg is saying he's doing and then how the platform is actually operating. For example, Ted Cruz had a poster board with this um, optionality on the uh, platform, and um, 
It is rather curious that there would be the options there are on Facebook and Instagram. These results may contain images of child sexual abuse. And then you gave users two choices. Get resources or see results anyway. What sane universe is there a link for see results anyway? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good question. (laughs) Scenes of child sexual abuse... Would you like to get resources on child sexual abuse, or would you like to see the scenes? I, why would you? Why would there be that option? I think that's a good question. Got a text message, Dan and Amy. Yes, Zuckerberg should have apologized, but he set a new global benchmark for insincerity with his apology. Made me want to have him. Made me want to have twenty minutes with him in a small room with a two by four. Well, again, remember, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg has officially transitioned into a human boy yet. I think he's still in the... I know he looks prepubescent, doesn't he? he, Well, he he also is like animatronic. There was like, he is is without um, emotion and... and he he just he 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 looks like something that was created in one of Elon Musk's labs, actually. But anyway, um, an, another a good exchange uh, again on this, you know, Zuckerberg again. He is volunteering. The the, the sort of does he owe an apology um, is a separate question. But when he's saying I'm doing these things to address some of these concerns and the user's experience. And it doesn't sound like he's accomplishing what he's saying he is doing. Then that's a legitimate issue of in- or a legitimate area of inquiry. And, and uh, Mike Lee followed up on Ted Cruz. It's restricting access to, to uh, sexually explicit content, but only for teens ages 13 to 15. My understanding is that we don't allow sexually explicit content uh, on, on the service for people of any age. Um, the the um, how is that going? Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's going well, and it sounds like that's a point that's conceded by all parties. So you're not allowing something that's occurring anyway. You're providing options to allow something you say isn't occurring. It's a legitimate question. I mean, the bottom line, are social platforms going to get any safer because of this hearing yesterday? Well, no, but but I mean, you know, how much... What is realistic when it comes to safety? I mean, I think, again, what, what Lee and Cruz pointed out are legitimate areas of inquiry. I mean, that was sort of an obvious uh, reform that could be made. But, I mean, this whole sort of addiction issue, cyberbullying, the targeting, like you, uh, that one parent we heard from, mm. What, hmm. I mean, Snapchat, I know a lot of my, well, my sons, all right, I'll say this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, had access to illegal things via Snapchat. So, um, right, so you can to, find they, whatever they, you want on Snapchat. And the Snapchat guy, I was listening to this doofus, uh, Evan Spiegel, his attempt at an apology. Words cannot begin to express the profound sorrow I feel that a service we designed to bring people happiness and joy has been abused to cause harm. Yeah, but I mean, there are things that are conceived to do one thing that people use to do uh, something else with, you know, that predate the Internet. Chemicals and so forth, drugs. Um, There are 
you know, I, I just want to pump the brakes a little bit, even though I find Zuckerberg generally detestable, um, just as I did Jack Dorsey and just as Reed Hoffman at LinkedIn, most of them. I don't like their politics, right? And um, I find them, yes, disingenuous, disingenuous and smarmy. Jack Dorsey was just weird. He was like a druid. I think he went to live in a forest when he left uh, Twitter <laughs> with his billions. But uh, weird. But so whatever. But we need to pump the brakes on this. I, I, I'm not. I'm not for shutting down social media platforms. I'm not for more government. Generally speaking more government intrusiveness and monitoring and rulemaking on the Internet, just as I'm not for that in the, you know, the analog or the terrestrial worlds. Well, what about age limits to use the social media platforms? Well, that's a good question because Florida, how the Florida House, Florida State House, passed a bill that would ban kids 16 and under from, from using social media if it became law and it withstood constitutional must, uh, scrutiny, past constitutional muster, uh, social media platforms would be forced to implement prescriptive age verification methods for all users, including adults, and carry disclaimers that their products may be harmful. Um, so, I mean, there's that. Do, do people think that's a good idea? I, I, yeah, you know, I saw the Social Dilemma documentary that popped a few years ago, and it was very interesting in terms of, you know, sort of Facebook insiders talking about how uh, you know, the the psychological manipulation behind getting generating more screen time for users to generate more revenue for the company. Um, but, you know, the studies on the causation. Right. The mental health, the the allegations, this is uh, uh, resulting in a deterioration of the mental health of young people like it's having material impact that the, the studies are are ambiguous at this point. Some suggest there is a correlation and should be taken seriously. You've sort of heard, you heard Josh Howley just mention that before he uh, was demanding Mark Zuckerberg to tell him who he fired. But there are other studies, a study published in 21 in the Journal of Clinical Psychological Science that found increased technology among use among adolescents not linked to a decline in mental well-being. There are others that suggest, I mean, there, there are some positive effects, too, because, of course, there's social media. So they're connecting you to friends and family you can communicate with. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a platform. So you can right. use it for harm, as some of these predators do, uh, and you, or you can use it to stay in touch with relatives from around the country. And so, you know, it, it's, it's just a more complicated picture. This and, is a great text message. Uh, Dan and Amy, maybe they were too busy... Uh, working with the FBI to go after conservatives rather than care about children. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's, Ooh, that's, something that's, to that. that's sort of the point that Holly made on, uh, Josh Holly made on Hannity last night. If he would actually change his platform and not allow pedophiles and, and sex predators on there, he could do a service to every family in America. I'll just say this, Sean. He seems to have all the time and attention in the world to censor conservatives. Facebook leapt at the opportunity to censor any questions about COVID, to label people who had COVID vaccine questions as, uh, as, as potential terrorists. If you question the Hunter Biden laptop, they shut you down. But yet they can't lift a finger to take sex predators off their platform. I don't buy it. Yeah, yeah um, it's a fair the hypocrisy piece, the focus piece. Yes, I think that's a legitimate point that Holly raises. But, you know, I, I just have to go back to 
this mental health issue, because I think this is where it's material. This sexual predators, to the extent they can identify them and sideline them, you know, you don't have a constitutional right to be on Facebook or any other social media platform. So, of course, if you see uh, if these these minders and the algorithms catch people that are engaged in predatory uh, conduct in the direction of kids or trying to consume content that shouldn't be even be on there, of course, that uh, is exploitive of kids, then f- then ban them, refer them to authorities, do all that. That That's a legitimate request. And they were you, doing you, you that. You don't I want mean... the social media, you don't, you, your social media platform cannot turn a blind eye to criminal activity on the platform. You need to attempt to interdict it. Otherwise, at some point you become an, an, not just an enabler, but potentially an accomplice to it. So that's legitimate. The mental health thing though, because that's where most parents are at, right? I mean, yes, that the, the sexual predation thing too, but but the mental health thing is more of a ubiquitous charge against the social media platforms, which is what I want to get to. And these you get tragic cases of kids committing suicide. And so right. obviously you feel for the families and the parents and the friends. It's a terrible thing. And um, it's perhaps the worst thing because of the all the unanswered questions usually when somebody does that. But, you know, this sort of contagion has been around for a long time in terms of um, young people who are susceptible. I mean, I did you ever read one kid who was bullied? I mean, he used to be bullied at school and then that kind of stopped. But then he got bullied on social media. Right. And his mom was in there and then he committed suicide. Right. Another girl, she thought she was talking to a, a teenage boy in Snapchat and she wasn't. She sent him, you know, nude photos. And she felt suicidal afterwards. She's like, because I, I really loved him, but there was no him there. It was something that, like, it was, you know. Um, so she felt bad about herself because of that. Did, 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 did anybody ever read uh, Goethe's novel, The Sorrows of Young Werther? I just want, you know, just some perspective on this. The, the This novel, which was a sensation... Uh, back in the late uh, 18th century, um, led to what was called at the time the Werther effect, young men committing suicide. Okay. Um, The late 1700s predates the Internet. And the story is about young Werther who falls in love with Charlotte and... uh, the love is unrequited. She eventually uh, marries Albert, an older man, and and Werther is you know confronted. He's confronted essentially with the idea of either murdering Albert or taking himself out, and he takes himself out because he couldn't bring himself to commit murder. So this led to uh, a rash of, I mean, led to. I'm not. I'm not uh, uh, saying there's causation here, but subsequent to the the novel and the popularity of it, other young men, forlorn, committed suicide. They they would dress like young Werther, you know, in terms of Uh how he was pictured, and led to suicides. So, I mean, should should we, you know, should they they have banned the sorrows of young Werther back in the the late 1700s? 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah. These social contagions with young people. I mean, what what is all the LGBTQ identification? Where you're talking about Gen Z, thirty up to up upwards of thirty percent are on the gender uh, gender sexual identity spectrum. I mean, come on. What society extols, what it becomes popular, there is going to be imitation or there is going to be uh, adoration. And so I just the, the 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 science on this, I mean, certainly causal links is a reach. So to the question of does Zuckerberg, I mean, Zuckerberg's an attempt at an apology was wooden and pathetic. But as hard as it is and as um generally detestable as Zuckerberg is. I'm not sure he owes an apology to the parents. He, he didn't commit the acts. He is not um, suborning the... Uh, yeah, he's not producing the content that um, causes young people to... Uh, react in a way that is unproductive, disproportionate to the threat. They don't have the context to understand this is not a big thing in the grand scheme of things, the name calling or whatever is happening. The sexual predation is separate. I'm just talking about mental health. Right. And if you're getting bullied online, don't go online. I mean, don't look at it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, or right. Or is it too simple of an uh, Well, I mean, answer? that's part of it, but the, but then the parental involvement too. The parental, but, but you're but you're not a teeny bopper. The, no, the, I know, the, but still, there's reasons why I just. I, yeah, uh, but the, but I'm talking about the, but the parental involvement. I'm not blaming the parents for no. um, the 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 you know somebody is a kid who takes their life. Something it's it's just it's a, so much more complicated and so much so much of it is unknowable, usually. But um, but I just I I have a very difficult time, you know grabbing a pitchfork and a torch here for Zuckerberg or any of these other tech CEOs in the ways that are being described, because I just don't think it's clear. And I think the sort of government coming to the rescue is always dangerous. Brian in St. John, Indiana, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Um, well, uh, man, I've been waiting that whole so long. I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, no, as much as I think social media is a problem and as much as I think that, yes, they can make changes to protect people in general, no, Mark Zuckerberg does not owe anybody a forced apology. Uh, it's like everything you talk about, we talk about. It's a parent's responsibility to, you know, monitor what their kids are looking at. And, uh, no, Mark isn't responsible for all this stuff as much as I detest him as well as you do, but he's not responsible for an, an apology. That's all I got. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Brian. Uh, I, I, you know, I know p- people want someone to blame, particularly when if, uh, somebody uses a product, but I mean, think about all the other instances. I mean, I went back to the 1700s, but just think about video games, violent video games were leading kids to be violent, but there's really not a causal link to support that claim. And as our friend Theodore Dalrymple, the retired uh, clinical psychiatrist, reminds us all the time, to suggest that there is, then you have to explain all of the other similarly situated individuals 
for who use video games and do so lawfully and are otherwise productive people and law-abiding people. All the people who use social media get in fights on social media, get ridiculed on social media, and who otherwise are productive people, law-abiding, and they're perfectly well-adjusted and they go on to live happy lives. You know, it's just it's just more complicated than just zeroing in on this and saying you're responsible because I need somebody to be responsible. Dennis in Milwaukee. Uh, Dan, Amy, um, I, I listen to you folks every day. I think you're the smartest radio in the morning, uh, maybe all day long. Yeah, but I, but this is this is naive. The social media, or what I like to call societal media developers, control what's amplified and what is diminished on their platforms, and they share the responsibility, like we all do in society, when things go bad. Oh, well, that, that's fair. I mean, we were talking about the things that Zuckerberg say, was saying they're doing, and apparently they're not, based on the evidence that was presented by Senators Lee and. Uh, and and Cruz in particular. So I'm I'm not giving him a clean bill of health here. I'm just saying on the mental health piece specifically. And of course, I mean, who doesn't know that somebody is going to manipulate their product, whatever it may be, including a social media platform for you know, profit maximization, for the for the, the gaining and re and retaining customers, clients. So, I mean, right. I think that I think that's a little naive, too. I mean, these social media companies are for-profit companies. This just in. All these guys are multi-billionaires. So what, 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 do you, what do you think? And, and it's been said for a, two generations now. If you don't know what the product is, you're the product. So, Got a so great you, text message. So you have, you have to go in yeah. with uh, open eyes on this, too. You can't pretend not to know stuff you should know, especially the adults. Instead of spending four hundred million on influencing an election, can't Zuckerberg spend four hundred million dollars on suicide prevention? This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM five sixty. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Just a postscript on our discussion about uh, Zuckerberg's appearance before the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday because I heard that uh, Durbin clip that Mike Scott played. You know, Dick oh, yeah. Durbin is opposed to child, sex, child exploitation online. Right, of course he is because it's unfair competition for the bricks and mortar human traffickers in K-12 government schools. That's not right. Sack of Durbin, please. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, KJP, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House spokeshuman, she uh, opened yesterday's press briefing with a, a speech she ostensibly penned for herself because, <laughs> because it was that bad. It sounds like something she may have written, and she stumbled through it. Maybe she didn't write it. Maybe the speechwriter is about as talented as she is. Anyway, she has a choice yes. for House Republicans when it comes to border security. And here it is. She's thrown down the gauntlet. As the president and his team continue working to deliver a historic bipartisan agreement on the border, House Republicans <laughs> have a choice to make. They can keep playing mm -hmm. politics or they can work in a bipartisan way oh. to secure the border. 
Sadly, this is not new. For years, they have refused to heed the president's request for action on much-needed funding for border security. For example, in the bill the president introduced in his first day in office more than a thousand days ago, he requested funding to develop and deploy expediting screening technology to improve our ability to catch narcotics and contraband at every port of entry. Republicans never acted on the bill. Each year in office, President Biden has requested record-breaking border security funding into law. But without exception, House Republicans have tried to stop the president from delivering the resources we need at the border. As recently as October, President Biden submitted a supplemental request for additional resources for border security. House Republicans did not take it up. Now, House Republicans are going further and signaling that they may refuse even to consider a historic bipartisan border security deal that would strengthen America's national security. Perhaps Speaker Johnson and House Republicans should reflect on what they've had to say over just the past few months. In October, Speaker Johnson said, we must come together and address the broken border. And in November, he said, I think we can get a bipartisan agreement on border security. But suddenly, we've heard a change of tune. One Republican member from Texas even said, why would they do anything to help President Biden? This is about helping the president. This is about helping the American people. It's not about helping the president. It's about the American people. This is about securing the border. Republicans in the Senate are working with us to do just that. Republicans in the House should as well. Um, Am I still hosting the show with Amy or was she replaced by Jar Jar Binks? What were those noises you were making during? <laughs> well, she was like, I had a very sing-song, like she's a yeah. kindergarten teacher. Yeah. Now, kids, these are the primary colors. Now grab your mats and your snacks, and we're going to have nappy noopy time in the corner. Right. Oh, this my is, God. This is not about helping President oh, yeah. Biden. Wait, this is about, no, it's this not is, about, it's it about helping no. the American, no, it's help, no, about it's helping a, Biden. No. <laughs> Uh, all right. So anyway, there it is. Uh, throw in with uh, Senate Republicans, throw in with Jim Langford and uh, and uh, Senate Minority Leader Freeze Frame and negotiate with us uh, to uh, throw some more money and some more border agents down at the border to facilitate the orderly entrance of untold millions into the country Um and, uh, you know, just provide a little bit more forum to the function of the open borders program. Uh, I know uh, Jim Lankford disputes that. But as we know and we will restate, President Biden took uh, some five dozen executive actions with respect to the border, undoing much of what Trump did, mm-hmm. also by executive order. And so by definition, he has authority to reverse those executive orders and do some of the things that Trump did by executive order. But he won't do that. So the posture of the Democrats is uh, they think, well, well, and they think that we can uh, um, hang the House Republicans on this um, uh, this this cross of bipartisanship. I, you know, the, which is a magic word. I, I think politicians think bipartisan, bipartisan. Look how constructive I am. I'm governing. Um, but it's um, blather. 
And I think if House Republicans continued to call them out on it, and I think if House Republicans would get even a little bit more strident, then it would do them well, both in terms of the uh, electoral outcomes in November, as well as extracting something that is real from this White House, depending on how much political punishment they seek to take. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, 646-36, type in DA, then a quick comment. Kurt in Lamont, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, hi, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking the call. So just a quick comment on your previous section. I think people have to be very careful uh, with this sort of, uh, it, it looked a bit stage managed last night. And it could be teeing up a repetition of the online safety bill that was uh, passed in the UK. The purpose of which was to squelch dissenting views. Yeah, right. So people just have to be very careful about that. Agreed. Um, And then regarding the border, whatever your position is, you have to uh, see at this point that it's an officially sanctioned and facilitated conveyor belt. Hmm. And it's, it's operated by NGOs who are using your tax money mm-hmm. to basically flood the border. And then all of the other, you know, expenses and, uh, and logistics that need to apply to those who arrive in the country and then need to be looked after. So it's a conveyor belt. And I think that there's a serious problem with the Republicans in the Senate. If they would agree to anything like uh, a, a cap of up to 5,000 a day being acceptable, that's my call. Thank you. Yeah, very yeah. good, Kurt. Thanks. I for mean, the call. And I, my blood is still boiling over those five illegals who kicked the you know what out of two cops, even kicking one in the head. And yesterday, the New York City police chief, he was upset because they were out within three hours of being arrested, going back to the shelters that our tax dollars are paying for. Reprehensible, cowards. You have eight people attacking a lieutenant and a cop. The four that were arrested should be sitting in Rikers right now, on bail, should be indicted this week and taken off our streets. Do you want to know why our cops are getting assaulted? There's no consequences, and we must change this. Yeah, I mean, they have. They did the Safety Act before we did. We just scaled what uh, New York State did uh, with respect to no cash bail, so they walked. Of course they did. I don't want so, them in jail. I want them deported. Well, they're, they're the huddled masses. You're well, to breathe free. Listen to this. Governor Hockel did Hockel. use the D word, Hockel, Hockel. I'm making up words, but she did use the D word yesterday, Dan. Why is it okay that they are left out on bail? I'm not satisfied with that at all. Mm-hmm. These are law enforcement officers who should never, under any sub- circumstances, be subjected to physical assault. Those individuals be deported? I think that's absolutely something that should be looked at. I mean, if someone commits wow. a crime against a police officer in the wow. state of New York, I'm so impressed. Um, and they're not, you know, I'm they've so not impressed. processed, they're not here legally. Blah, 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 Well, you think these guys are ever going to swear allegiance to the United States? So this is what we're supposed to hang our hat on? Um, a gang of people in this country illegally beat up two cops, and the governor of a state says De- deportation is something that should be looked into. Wow. I'm impressed. No, I'm not. She's a hack. She's a cipher. Looking in, looked into. 
This is what I'm talking about. There is not the political will on the left and some on the right, it would seem, ostensibly on the right, to deport people who commit violent crimes. And until that changes, we got a big problem. Big That's problem. This is the self-immolation of the country. Forget all of the other conversations. Just this narrow one, because it is illustrative of everything else. The governor of New York State is uncertain as to whether a gang of young men in this country legally who beat up two cops whether they should be deported. That's a real brain teaser. Not sure people, people, you know, above my pay grade should look at that. What's to look at? Um, The chief is right. Detain them. Adjudicate them. Deport them. It's pretty simple. But it's not. It's not in our politics. And this tells you everything you need to know about the new Marxists who dominate the Democrat Socialist Party and apparently have made some incursions into the Republican Party, too. By the way, um, this is um, so clear that the punky QB has weighed in on it. I love this. Jim Jim McMahon McMahon? is back in the news. I love him. Uh, Jim McMahon, who's I think he's still in Arizona. So he he lives in Arizona. Yeah. yeah, So he knows something about this, just like uh, Erlacher does. Um, McMahon, who's now in the cannabis business, mm, about that. Uh, <laughs> hey, but anyway, guys, got to eat, man. Let him do it. <laughs> let's set that aside for a second. Here's what uh, Jim McMahon said on Fox as he was promoting uh, the, you know, banking normalization for uh, marijuana dispensaries and growers and stuff. But he had some other things to say. I close the damn borders for one, oh. and then go 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 find all the people that got in here illegally, and. Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, we're we're paying all this money as taxpayers, and and it's not helping us at all. You know, we're sending it all overseas. We're you know who knows where we're sending it, but it's not being used here in the states. You know, you look at California; they get the most money every year for for homelessness, and they get the worst homelessness population in the country, or probably in the world. Uh, there's just so many things going wrong, and, and we got to just stop the the crazy spending and and printing money and and close our borders, and let's clean house. All right, Jim McMahon oh for governor of Arizona. God. I love him. Oh my, um, what if he comes back and runs for governor of Illinois? He's got great name recognition. Why would he leave Arizona? Stay there, take That's out true. Katie Hobbs. That's fine. Um, so, yeah, right. I mean, McMahon, by the way, McMahon. He sounds had, great. Uh, you know, stumbled upon a particularly important insight. California gets the most money they have, for homeless people. They have the, the highest homeless population. Well, that's what we do in this country, Jim. We subsidize pathologies. We so so we get more of them. We subsidize pathologies. We don't address them. We exacerbate them. That's what throwing money at it. That's what uh, throwing money at the border does. That's what throwing money at the homeless problem in California does. Because you're just funding the government enterprise that is ever expanding to manage this problem that they've, if not created directly, exacerbated directly. Len in Highland Park. Good morning. So when you have an open border and no 
country on earth has ever had an open border like this before. You eventually become what the people are leaving. And this imbecile, with one stroke of the pen, shut down the Keystone pipeline in a day, putting I don't know how many people out of work. And he can do one other stroke with the pen, but this isn't the purpose they want to serve, and shut down the border. And there should be no negotiation on a new border policy till it's completely shut down. And then they can start talking. But in the meantime, there's no 5000 a day. There's nothing a day. And it can be done and not on the taxpayer's dime. Um, and I'm leaving at 3 this morning, tomorrow. I'll be in April Saturday. Oh, very good. All oh, right. Nice. All right, Len. All right, we'll connect when you get down here. All right, thanks for the call, Len. Driving down. Uh, yeah. Drive safe. It's a long drive. Uh, it's long so drive. long. Robert Bloomingdale. Good morning. Uh, for the last three years, the Biden administration said there was no border crisis, and that's why they repealed all of Trump's executive orders. But now they need a bipartisan solution to the problem they created, but after they let 15 million illegals in 10 years from now, are they going to vote Democrat or Republican when they give them the right to vote in five to 10 years? And who are these people going to vote for? It's that simple. They want this and they want it as much as possible because that's the solution to complete power by the Democratic Party. Thanks, Robert. Marty Naperville. Hey, good morning. Real, two things real quick, Dan. You're right about that ride to Naples. When I drive down to Florida, every plane is laughing at me. But anyway, uh, and Amy, I take offense to you. Um, KGB is a black woman um, lesbian. I, I'm sick that she is correct about everything. Stop making fun of her. Those are her credentials. She knows what she's talking about. Okay. Stop making noises when she's talking. Yeah, Thank you. The, the federal triple threat. Yeah. That's the longest the call, I've Marty. ever heard her talk ever. I mean, she normally, you know, keeps it. So next question, it goes through her binder of what well, should the answer it, be. It was exciting. Uh, she uh, or somebody penned that speech for her, and so it's uh -huh. a big big day for her. It was like her State of the Union address. Uh, <laughs> Chuck and Dullivan. Chuck. You can Google this. The Texas border is 1,264 miles. They have 19,000 uh, people in the National Guard in Texas. You can post them. <clears throat> Every half mile and let them randomly shoot into Mexico. There's your border. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Chuck. Uh, no, a I don't. Provocative, I don't, are you? I don't think you know. Random gunfire is this is oh. uh, the solution, but uh, yeah, um, it's not a personnel problem. That's a salient point. Uh, Candace, Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin. Yeah, if people are uh, paying attention to what's going on in Europe, and they're not showing you what's going on in Europe, <clears throat> but this has been going on for years, the murder and uh, the communist beatdowns, you know, the, the, the mob picking, <clears throat> which came from Mao, has been happening to old ladies and little kids at, at, at their school uh, by, you know, these huge gangs of illegals. And, I mean, I I think that the U.S., that some kind of weird agreement has already been made. We're already a communist nation that came with COVID. And now we're just like a carcass for the pickings. And, you know, people are just going to keep complaining, la, 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 which is all noise. And what are you going to do about it? You know? What are you going to do about it? That is the operative question. What are you going to do about it? Stop. Thanks for the call, Candace. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I'm a little concerned about uh, President Biden's announced trip to East Palestine, Ohio. I I just want to make sure I want to make sure that somebody has told the big guy that's not where the leader of Hamas lives. Because I just I don't want I don't don't want him I I don't want him to waste a trip. Um, So that's that's my concern there. But I did want to go back to something that we. discussed a bit earlier in the show as we were reviewing that uh, uh, ceasefire resolution passed in their infinite wisdom by the Chicago City Council with Mayor BLM Brandon casting the tie-breaking vote. Uh, and a caller we got to talking about, well, wait a second, the, uh, the UN is on board with the ceasefire. Oh, sure, of course. And uh, South Africa uh, okay. has brought this case to the international uh, a, um, criminal court um, for genocide and, and apartheid. You know, these are customary accusations from the uh, terrorist apologist crowd, which is half of the city council and the mayor of Chicago included. But just a reminder, questions were asked about the United Nations Relief and Works Agency uh, after the October 7 terrorist attack. Like, um, is this an organization we should be financing we meaning the United States, uh, what is their relationship with Hamas? They deal uh, exclusively uh, in Gaza. And this was the answer of questions about the relationship between that U.N. agency and the designated terrorist organization, Hamas, the party responsible for the greatest atrocity against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. This was the response from our State Department and one of its spokeshumans, Matt Miller. They are, I will say, as I, as I said a moment ago, um, actually they're on the front lines, understaffed, putting their lives at risk to get food, water, medicine to children, to babies, to civilians. So we absolutely support the work that they're doing. Okay, in light of that Jerusalem Post re- report of 100 Hamas terrorists confirmed to have graduated from UNRWA schools, what level of terrorist involvement with UNRWA will it take to motivate President Biden to condemn so, so we always condemn terrorism, and I think that's pretty clear just based on what you hear me say from this podium every day and what you've heard me say about Hamas since October 7th. Um, but, but I do want to reiterate what I said about the life-saving work that UNRWA is doing uh, and how important it is that that work not just continue, but that it be expanded. We would welcome other um, uh, countries increasing their levels of support to UNRWA because we really do think the work they're doing uh, is essential. Uh huh. So that's uh, people who should know better. That's your State Department spokeshuman. And so what we find out is, yes, the, the Biden administration condemns terrorism, particularly when they finance it. Twelve employees of UNRWA, United Nations Relief and Works, Works Agency, including seven primary or secondary school teachers. I know. Um, were material yeah. supporters of the Hamas terrorist attack on October 7th. The um, intelligence provided by the Israelis, they provided weapons. Right. 
among other, and as well as Intel and other information. So they were collaborators in that October 7th terrorist attack. Now, I know that, oh, it's a small fraction of the number of employees of UNRWA. Does that, is that, what, what kind of defense is that? Because that's the one being offered. Interestingly, 13, uh, this was a good piece in the Wall Street Journal the other day uh, from Naftali Balanson, who is uh, the head of an NGO that monitors the sort of terrorist activity and the interconnections. The South Africa petition in the International Court of Justice. 13 of the footnotes the South Afri- uh, in that South African petition cite UNRWA in support of its claim that the Jewish state is waging genocide against the Palestinians and is an apartheid state. South African communists citing terrorist sympathizers to accuse Israel of genocide and apartheid. You keeping score? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For more on all of this, uh, we're pleased to be joined again by our friend KT McFarland. Of course, uh, KT was the deputy national security uh, advisor to President Trump. She's also the author of the bestseller Revolution, Trump, Washington, and We the People. KT, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure to be with Dan and Amy. Yeah, so well, it's great to have you. So, um, you know, all of this this business, uh, both domestically and internationally, of trying to uh, a rally for Hamas uh, and with the administration sort of Again, giving middling rhetoric to try to uh, salve the fragile egos of some of their more intemperate constituents. Yeah, in the Trump administration, we understood that a lot of the um, supplies, food, um, humanitarian supplies, medicines that the U.N. was giving to the Palestinians were going directly to Hamas, either directly because the U.N. agency handed them off happily or because Hamas stole them out of the warehouses and it was never reported. So we cut back on American direct contributions to the relief organizations um, in, in Gaza because we thought what was happening was that we, they weren't going to the people. They weren't going to the women and the children who needed them. They were going directly to Hamas. And if Hamas people couldn't use them, they then sold them on the black market and then they made money from that. So we did not feel that Americans taxpayers should fund Hamas, and it sadly turned out that we were correct. Now, the Biden administration comes in, reverses all that, money goes back to these agencies, which immediately goes into the pockets of Hamas, and then you see Hamas is well enough equipped and rich enough to launch those October 7th attacks. It was only a matter of time before Hamas did that, and we're now living with the consequences. Now, the the UN, the um, State Department spokesman a little bit vague on his face, had to say, well, the United States is cutting back now. We're not going to give money directly to that U.N. agency. But it, it really begs the point. But, you know, what's the United Nations? We're the biggest supporters of the United Nations, right? right. We pay the majority of the budget. We give them the free land um, in New York and the pricey real estate of Manhattan. And what do they do? Are, are they supporting what they're supposed to support globally, or has it been turned into a weapon? to use against democracy, to use against freedom, to use against human rights. And the UN, if, if I was stunned, Amy, let me just tell you, I went to a Christmas party at the United Nations, mm-hmm. and right before Christmas, so I'm walking along, there's a huge visitor's entrance, wall upon wall of pictures and celebrations and all the stuff you would normally see in a big public space. You know what it was devoted to? What? The suffering of 
the Palestinian people on the West Bank and the evil Israelis. Mm-hmm. That was at the United Nations. They're putting that right in your face. So they're making no, they're, it's no secret, as Dan just talked about, that, that the U.N. does not support Israel. It is anti-Semitic, and it is supporting terrorists. You know what uh, that uh, U.N. building, since you brought it up in New York, oh, would be great, great. for? Migrants. Migrant center. Yes. And then the U.N., all the world could live their values. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's a big lobby. They could put a, a lot lobby. of illegal. Uh, I mean, exactly. Do, do they have exactly. showers? If they have showers, we're all set. We'll be great. So, <laughs> KT, I wanted to ask you about Iran. Obviously, those three poor soldiers were killed while they were sleeping in their beds, and there's been 165-plus attacks. Uh, Biden said he's going to do something, but what pain is he planning for Iran, like a strongly worded letter or something more sinister? Well, there are really three options. There are three military options. Number one would be to continue what they've done, which is to do nothing, turn the other cheek, maybe make some symbolic gesture, strong letter to the United Nations. Um, Number two would be sort of dialing it up, and that would be to go after the proxies. So the proxy forces, Iran pays for them, trains them, gives them ammunition, directs them, but they don't directly... Are they're not located in Iran proper. They're in Yemen, they're in Lebanon, they're in Syria, they're in Iraq, but they're doing the job of the Iranian military. And then finally, it would be a direct attack on Iran. Um, I worry that the direct attack on Iran would give them the fig leaf they need to say that they're a nuclear weapons state and then have nuclear weapons within a week's time. I'm all in favor of that middle option, but to do it very robustly, to take out not just degrade by 20%, the, the ammunition dumps and the um, missile launchers and all the things that are in Yemen and Iraq and Syria and Lebanon, but to take them out 100%, and then to have very strong economic measures, including potentially even a blockade of Iran. You know, with the Trump administration, again, we were tough on Iran, and we had mm-hmm. sanctions that Iran could not sell oil overseas. And it shut it down. Iran was broke. They were bankrupt. Plus the price of oil, even if they could sort of smuggle some of it out to sell, they weren't making much money out of it. The Iranian people were really angry because their, their bread prices went up, their cost of living went up, their lives did, did just sort of cratered economically. And yet the Biden administration comes in, oh, if Trump wanted it, we don't want it. And so they allow Iran to sell oil on the open market. And then in addition to that, the price of oil is sky high. So Iran's really rich right now. We should shut all that stuff down. Yeah, I wanted to get your reaction to something that uh, Joe Kent said earlier this week. He was on uh, with Tucker, and um, he's a Green Beret. He's a Republican candidate for Congress in Washington State again. He lost his wife in a bombing in Syria, who was also a military. She was a cryptographer uh, about uh, five years ago, as you know. And something he said, though, particularly in response to the immediate response from like Lindsey Graham, John Cornyn about bombing Iran right away. Nikki Haley saying something sort of like that. We should go after their leadership once they're not inside Iran. But once they come out of Iran, we should a la Soleimani, we should target their leadership. So something that Joe Ken said about this response from the neocons, and I want to get your reaction. You you just uh, are kowtowing to Vladimir Putin. It's the exact same mentality that got us into the Iraq war. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And look, Tucker, I would love to come on here and defend 
neoconservatism as someone who you know lost my late wife in these wars, as somebody who lost countless friends, as somebody who fought myself, 11 combat deployments. I spent most of my 20s and 30s in Iraq. I would love to tell you it had worked, but it simply did not. And that's a very hard thing to admit. I get into arguments yes. all the time uh, with fellow veterans about this exact same topic. So I think a lot of this is literally the gambler's fallacy. There's a lot of people who think, hey, yeah. if we just keep trying, if we keep attempting to spread freedom through the barrel of a gun and trillions of US dollars, this time it's going to work. Let's just double down. And this is well how really nice casinos are built in Las Vegas off of this exact same mentality. So I think that combined with the financial interest from Lockheed Martin and every single defense contractor and you know putting uh, someone like Lloyd Austin as the Secretary of Defense who's still on the board at Raytheon, I think those that factor with that mentality and people not being able to admit that we got this wrong and then making adjustments to our policy. What do you think, KT? I could not have said it better, and I could not have said it with more personal experience and heart um, as that man spoke. But it's absolutely right. The neocons are they're always looking for another war, and part of it is that the defense industry makes a lot of money on another war. But let's be smart about it. Do we need, how often do we have to have these forever wars before we learn the lesson, whether it's Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan or even Libya? Now we're thinking, oh, let's go after Iran for another forever war. Let's just be smart about it and use what it, we're very, we're not good at that kind of stuff. We don't win those wars, as Joe said. But what we are really good at is using economic weapons. We're good at cyber weapons. We're good at technology. And employ those weapons the same way Reagan won the Cold War. We didn't beat the Soviet Union on a battlefield. We beat them economically. We bankrupted them. We manipulated oil prices and various other things to bankrupt, or bankrupt the Soviet Union. I'm all for bankrupting Russia today and with regard to Ukraine. I'm all for bankrupting Iran. Use the economic weapon. And then the local and then the people themselves, they take care of it. The Iranian people, if they're bankrupt, if they're if their standard of living is so collapsed, guess what? No more mullahs. But I, I have to ask though too, you know, uh, we uh, don't say we don't enforce sanctions against Iran. We right. give them a glide path to nuclearization. We uh, do arms uh, do a cash for hostages deals. Um and so, and so we we provide them these resources, this underwriting, if you will. Um, that weakness is provocative. So uh, that's the response. I, I I wonder if it's it's an anticipated response since we're financing uh, directly or indirectly terror. I mean, pretty soon uh, the largest state sponsor of terror in this world is not going to be Iran. It's going to be the United States if this president continues on at this pace. And I wonder if this sort of underwriting plus a demonstration of weakness is purposeful. You mean, are they intending to encourage terror? I, mean, I can't are there, there, Are they intending to encourage, you know, this is sort of a, a war party argument, but are they intending to encourage conflict for the, the sort of what Kent was describing with and, and what you just mentioned for the, um, the war party, the defense contractors, the chicken hawks, et cetera? You know, I, I found that the sort of the stupidest mistakes ever made in history have either been done intentionally, like you're implying, or they've been done out of incompetence. And I suppose it's probably a combination of both when I look at the Democrats, uh, particularly in the Biden-Obama administrations. I don't think that they intentionally want to destroy the world, but they're doing a really good job of it. When you, as you point out, they've, in, they've enriched Iran, they've enabled Iran with weapons and nuclear weapons, and now whenever anything Iran does anything aggressive, they 
They just pretend it isn't happening. So, in fact, what they're doing is encouraging a war. Because by doing those two things, by enriching Iran, and then when Iran gets aggressive, pretending it isn't happening, Iran's going to keep pushing, pushing, pushing through its proxies. Not Iran proper. The Iranians don't want a war with us. They're very happy to sacrifice their proxies. But at some point, we're going to have mass casualties of Americans. The ship is going to go down. And then the clamor of the people that you've just referred to, the neocons, whatever you want to call them, the war party, if they're Republican and Democrats, they will all scream, well, we have to have a war with Iran. And that's a war we can't win. We could have prevented. We don't want. And we really don't know how to fight. So, again, use the economic weapons, but let everybody know, if you kill Americans, we're coming after the people who kill the Americans. Right now, that's just the proxies. Well, and, and, and the proxy group that has claimed responsibility for those three uh, Americans that were killed at yeah. the Jordanian-Syrian border is in Iraq. And Iraq is, you know, one of our partners in peace in the Middle East, according to, you know, the stated position of the State Department. And yet you have all these Iranian proxies in uh, operating in Iraq. You have um, some uh, Iranian sympathizers uh, in the government in Iraq. And yet, again, here we are. We're fine. We're underwriting them in part. And by extension, underwriting Iranian proxies, pretending to have a partner in peace like we were attempting for the last decade under Obama and Biden to have a partner in peace in Iran. And, and it's all it's all it's all phony. Yes, it is all phony. Tragically, all phony. And are they doing it deliberately or do they just have a warped worldview? The Obama-Biden administration, they thought if they could placate and appease Iran enough, Iran would become a responsible international stakeholder. And then wouldn't go to war, wouldn't develop nuclear weapons, wouldn't have terrorism. Well, that was dead wrong. Instead, they should have looked at the Iranian constitution and understood that from the very beginning, from the very inception of the Iranian revolutionary movement, that Iran has had two goals, and only two goals. They've had the goal of getting the United States out of the Middle East and destroying the state of Israel. They have not wavered from those goals for a minute. They have changed tactics, whether it's... Initially, it was supposed to be the Iranian military that was going to do it. And then now it's the proxies that are going to do it. And now it's the terrorists that are going to do it. It's just understand that you're not going to sweet talk Iran out of its ambitions. It doesn't want to enrich its people. It doesn't want to make life better for Iranians. It wants to get America out of the Middle East, destroy Israel. Oh, and by the way, if you can kill Jews, that's all the better. Katie McFarland, former first deputy national security advisor, President Trump, author of Revolution, Trump, Washington, and We the People. KT, thank you as always. Honor and a pleasure. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is Chicago's morning answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, Evanston, the uh, home of Northwestern. Yes. Hmm. Familiar with their work. Yeah. Well, they uh, led the nation in pursuing reparations. Yeah. So, they're, they're looking to uh, lead the nation, certainly the state, again. They're uh, the first city in Illinois to implement ranked choice voting. That's coming up in their 25 muni elections. It's exciting. And they're also set to uh, visit a proposed ordinance that would allow documented residents, not U.S. citizens, 
to vote in local elections. Good idea. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36DA, turnkey.pro text line. Looking Let's be bad. a little bit more inclusive. Uh, yeah, and on an ancillary note, uh, Northwestern girls played Iowa Hawkeyes, and your girls took a knee during the national anthem. Yeah, yeah I heard half of them yeah. did. I saw that online, and then Caitlin yeah. Collins and the Hawkeyes pounded them. Good, Good. as they should have. Yeah, we we don't take knees at Iowa. Or Thank Caitlin, you. What's it? Caitlin Clark. What's her name? Caitlin Cl- Caitlin Clark, number twenty-two. Yeah, all-time leading scorer in the, the Big Ten. Changing the whole world of women's basketball. Yeah, we tried sure to know. get in the game on Saturday. It was sold out. Purdue mm. game was sold out. It's just amazing. Yeah, she's a, a great from downtown. I've heard. Yes, like a <laughs> female Steph Curry. I got it. Yes. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, anyway, so Alderman Devin Reed, Eighth Ward. If you're uh, keeping track of your Evanston City Councilman, which I know you are. I believe it has been the march of our nation to allow more and more folks the right to vote in our elections. I think that folks who are members of our community, who are documented legal residents, but not quite citizens yet. Oh, they're so close. Who are paying taxes, their kids are going to our schools, should have the right to participate in our local democracy. Precisely. And if it's good enough for non-citizens, they're so close. Then what about for uh, documented individuals who are not legal permanent legal residents. They have no legal uh, residential status, but uh, except to the extent that they are asylum seekers, because, again, we're told that all of the people who have been given entry through sort of the probationary designation are asylum seekers, the huddled masses. So it's just a stone's throw from those who are legal residents, but not citizens voting to those who are here under some sort of dubious legal designation, or maybe not, but could be, theoretically, that's close enough, to allow them to vote as well, because they'll, what if, what if uh, say, those Venezuelan uh, migrants who were granted, in the process of being granted the work permits, so they're here, the kids are in schools, uh, they're making money, ostensibly, they're paying taxes, ostensibly, so... Right. I mean, it's just these are just minor distinctions that really um, don't amount to much when they're, as Alderman Reed said, not quite citizens, but they're paying taxes. The kids are going to our schools. They should have the right to participate in local democracy. Well, why not state democracy? Why not federal democracy? Well, I would love to hear from newly minted American citizens who worked so hard. They did it the right way. They came to this country the right way. Um, when they became citizens, we went to their ceremony. And I just cried. I mean, people were waving American flags. They were so happy to be Americans, and they did it the right way. And this is a slap in the face to everyone who did it the right way, who followed the rules. Uh, I mean, do we know what they – are they going to pledge allegiance to our country? I mean, what they could say or do whatever they want, but they didn't, you know, go through the course. Did they pass the test, the citizenship test? Well, no, well, that, they don't well, have to do any of that? Well, they're, they're – yeah, I mean, obviously they're not citizens. That's the whole right. point of extending the franchise to to people who are not American citizens. So if they're going to do that for people that are documented, uh, then what be, what constitutes documentation? And, you know, while we're at it, I mean, is documentation that really important when you're talking about uh, distinguishing between groups of non-citizens, some here legally, some here illegally? I mean, the ones that are here illegally are still getting the same services. Their kids are still going to the same schools. 
So what's the difference? I mean, isn't the point to blur the distinction, actually erase the distinction between citizens and non-citizens? And this is another step in the direction. We're not the only ones, of course. Other enlightened communities like Washington, D.C., San Francisco, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, um, allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. And so Evanston could lead the way in Illinois. And then, hey, they've got some support at the legislative level. Of course they do. State Senator Selena Villanueva, she's a Democrat socialist from Chicago. She introduced a bill a couple of years ago that would allow non-citizens to vote in school board elections. Oh, so let's extend that. And then and then why not, you know, at, the, you know, when state elections and then federal elections, let's you know, they, they're doing this incrementally. But it is pretty clear the direction they're going, isn't it? Paul, I and love Ray, this. this. Paul this and morning. Racine, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. So I, I used to live in Evanston, um, but I still own a, a small condo there, but definitely looking to sell, um, given all these recent um, developments, you know, uh, you know, the university owns what, half the, half the town, you know, another big chunk are the lakefront mansions. They're all untouchable. And the people who uh, bear the burden are going to be the you know, middle class um, property owners, middle class residents. Um, so I say, you know, enough's enough. You know, I'm I'm definitely, you know, cutting ties. Thanks for the call, Paula. Um, you know, the uh, city, uh, uh, the alderman who proposed this for Evanston, motion for city staff and outside law firm to produce a memo on non-citizen voting. So, you know, they're uh, making all the appropriate plans. That motion, of course, passed. And so they're in the process of getting this thing done. Well, yeah. Engaged communities are thriving communities, they say. Alderman Reed, quoting him, election reform should be about making sure more voters and more voices are heard in order to then affect the outcome. Wow. That is a deep thought. Right, exactly. But that's what this is. More voters means more voices are heard, and that means somehow, some way, magically, we have a more vibrant representative republic. That's what I'm to believe. So, again, why get hung up on these distinctions between citizens and non-citizens? If we're going to be welcoming communities in a welcoming country, well, then, hey, we want your voice to be heard, too. So, yeah. Well, isn't this a way of rigging elections? Mary Kay in Western Springs, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, you guys. Um, yes, I, I called the other day and I wanted to make this comment. The, the girls who are nannying around here, I'm very close to many of them because I did it a job during the pandemic to make ends meet. And um, they are of black and brown persuasion. Most all of them are. And I was I brought my petition for ParentsMatterCoalition.org over um, to the library. Many signed, which was great, but I, of course, was making sure they were legal voters. The younger girls, a lot of them not registered to vote. I want to know, where do we go today to register to vote? Do we take a field trip over to where do you go? What is where there a voter? You go, you, you, yeah, where do you, go? 
You register, register online. You can register online. at the local election okay, authority, a DMV. Okay. You can wait till election day yeah. and same day register in, in Illinois. Well, can I set up a table at the library and say, let's register to vote here? I'm a registered voter. Can I recruit? Well, you, if, you, if, you were a re- building? if you're a registrar, then you could register people to vote. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I will sure. go over there and find out what it takes to be a registrar, and then I'll set up a table somewhere around here and do the do it get the girls to vote they all know me they like me they want to vote they all wanted to sign the petition but the some of them weren't registered to vote and perfect I said, well, let's like, get on to that exactly you'll be like we'll do a, the chicago thing and sign them up anyway you'll be like a western springs yeah. ward healer that's perfect uh, yeah wonderful it, it you guys it's going to be great it's going to be huge like uh, trump will say we'll get thanks for the call mary Kay. Corey and woodlawn uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, I was thinking that, you know, the Democrat cities are getting exactly what they want. They're getting these non-voters in there to try to change the elections in their favor. But the Republican cities and states are getting what they want. They're getting middle-class American and, and American companies. And not, that's why neither of these uh, popular parties have the will to end this thing. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the call, Corey. Hmm? Hmm. Looks Maybe. like they're going to vote on February 5th, all the rules committee. That's soon. Uh, Rusty on 90. Yeah, so a thought on this. Um, I'm not a citizen of Evanston. I'm a citizen of Chicago. But as long as they're allowing the non-citizens to they're not, vote. Th- those, are, those are not states. Uh, yeah, but I'm kind uh, of I mean, doing countries a yet. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tongue in cheek. So I'm thinking right. everyone else outside of Evanston perhaps can vote in their elections as well. Oh, yeah, yeah right. I, get, I like that. Because yeah, exactly. you could say that you're identifying as an Evastonian. No, but I mean, yeah, but they can't, really. you're living your life. You're living your purpose. Right. Well, right. you just you show up in Evanston, you, you, um, yeah. you know, with some sort of asylum paperwork <laughs> or maybe they'll grant you some sort of asylum paperwork. I mean, they should do this at the local level. I like that idea. And then, yeah, I mean, as Alderman Reed said, I mean, more voices, more voters means more voices. Yeah, I just want to be heard is all. Yeah, heard. Yeah. All right, very good, Rusty. Voting. Thanks for the call. Yeah, right. I want to vote. Yeah, let's see. Right. Yeah, actually, that would be great to put to the test. There's another good example of jujitsu. See if you right. can uh, maybe a, 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 a intrepid Evanstonian will show up to the board meeting and, and offer a proposal to allow non-Evanston residents to also vote in local elections. Yeah. And you could give them if they if they make some overture that at some point they would like to be an Evanston resident. Then you give them some sort of temporary status. That's a document. And then they can vote in the Evanston local elections. I like that. I've got a better. My, my mom was born there. Don't I have my family lived there? Don't I have a right to vote? Yeah, perhaps you could argue that um, some yeah. some there was some Jacobson uh, land in Evanston that was stolen. Right. And uh, you have a right yeah. to reclaim your land um, and uh, yeah, and certainly participate to make sure again your voice is heard. Yeah, we helped start a church in Evanston. There you go. I mean, you know, was it uh, were your ancestors Women's Christian Temperance Union? Was that what They're they were Saint, involved in? St. Luke's. And then we took St. Luke's and started, uh, oh, my God, holy, oh, boy, I can't remember, in Skokie. My grandpa and grandma were part of that. You should get so, lined up for one of those uh, $20,000 housing uh, grants, too, while you're at it. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Scott and Aurora, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, I'm going to try to explain this to maybe uh, see if you guys can understand where I'm coming from. But so, so Chicago, before they were a sanctuary city, 
they, they wanted to be a sanctuary city before they were one. It's the same thing with Evanston. I'm wondering if you know the population, the black population of Evanston. If there's almost no black people there, is there what is there for reparations at this point until they start moving in and then are, and then is there a problem? Well, they already have reparations. Yeah, and they they thanks for the call. I mean, they have uh, I don't know what the percentage is of the town, but there's a sig- significant, significant there's a sizable black population on the the western side of Evanston. Uh-huh. Right? I'm looking it up now, yes. Um so uh yeah. Well, you know. Carl in Big Cabin, Oklahoma. Good morning. Hey, uh, you might want to change that to the north of the Cheddar Curtain versus uh, the uh, Big Cabin. Oh, okay. Uh, now, on to my, on to my point, uh, you know, you have so many Illinois people coming to Wisconsin and have property up there and spending time. And I think they should be asylum seekers also in Wisconsin and be allowed to vote that way because Illinois blue. Biden's got that. If we get those people from Illinois up into Wisconsin that have their weekend homes, all of them vote, you know, twenty, thirty thousand extra votes for Biden, that'll be a lock on the election for Biden. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, I like this. Yeah, I like what the uh, the Democrats are thinking here. Let's just, you know, you just, whoever is best at moving people around, whether from other countries or within country, to localities, to states that matter, wins. That's a great system. It's just there's no there's no borders. We don't have a border. States don't have borders. There are no election jurisdictions. Everybody just gets to move around, and it's a logistics game. This is fun. That's a way to to certainly ensure more voices are heard. <laughs> there's more participation, and it'll make our representative republic that much more vibrant and dynamic. Right. Sure. Bill in Cape Coral, Florida. Yeah, you know, I have a, uh, I mean, man, well, I have a wedding dress that's up in the closet up there in my summer home <laughs> by the lake, so I'm going to be voting up there. Okay, Very Ron good, Emmanuel. Bill. Yeah, yeah, you can not only vote in Evanston, you can be the next mayor of Evanston if you've got that wedding dress in a closet somewhere in Evanston. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy and uh, Ayanna Presley, Francis Parker Spice of the uh, Socialist Spice Girls. Oh, yes. One of our uh, exports, Ayanna Presley, uh, attended Francis Parker High School. Now she's a congresswoman from Massachusetts, just like uh, uh, the mayor of Boston, Barrington High School. Yeah. Now she's a, mm-hmm. effectively a Socialist Spice Girl who's the mayor of uh, Boston by way of Barrington High School and then Harvard. Doing a great job uh, distributing the uh, leftist diaspora from Chicago. Uh, yeah, well, so she took to the House floor, did Ayanna Presley, because uh, she has beef with Walgreens. Apparently, they've closed a store or two in her district, and you know why they did it. 
Oh, because of crime. No, because they're racist. Mr. Speaker, Walgreens is planning to close yet another pharmacy in the Massachusetts 7th, this time on Warren Street in Roxbury, a community that is 85 percent black and Latino. This closure is a part of a larger trend of abandoning low-income communities like the previous closures in Mattapan and Hyde Park, both in the Massachusetts 7th. When a Walgreens leaves a neighborhood, they disrupt the entire community and and they take with them baby formula, diapers, asthma inhalers, life-saving medications, and of course, jobs. These closures are not arbitrary and they are not innocent. They are life-threatening acts of racial and economic discrimination. That is why I joined with Senator Markey and Warren to demand answers from Walgreens CEO. Why was there no community input, no adequate notice to customers, and no transition resources to prevent gaps in health care? Shame on you, Walgreens. Having a website with talking points about health equity and underserved communities is not enough. Walgreens is a multi-billion dollar corporation that needs to put their money where their mouth is and stop divesting from black and brown communities. Yeah. How about that? How about, hey, uh, Walgreens uh, execs, how you like the people you align with with all your health equity babble? Because yeah, yeah, Ayanna Presley and and uh, Senator Crocodilia and Markey, they're they they got your back, right? <laughs> yeah, you're allowed you're allowed to close your business. Well, you're allowed to close your business when we say you can close your business. Um, and if you don't, uh, you know, basically distribute some cash. To make uh, people temporarily whole, I don't know what she wants exactly, uh, including to hear the politicians make them look good. Got to give us something. Got to extort your way out of business in uh, our district. If you don't do that, then we're going to hold you up as uh, you know racists and bigots and so forth. I mean, Whole Foods closed in Inglewood. Are they racist? Uh, according uh-huh. to Diana Presley, probably they are. Yeah. How do you? How do you like that? Uh-huh. By the way, just a question. Was uh, Walgreens also racist when they located the store they're closing in that neighborhood? Or they, they just became racist when they decided to close it because it didn't make economic sense to keep it open? I mean, does she know Walgreens is a for-profit company? I mean, it's not a charity. Uh, for uh, more on this and other topics economic, we're pleased to be joined by the capitalist pig, Jonathan Honig. He is also a Fox News contributor and a co-publisher of the recently released Can You Really Love a Dog? Leonard Peikoff and Ayn Rand on Pets. Jonathan Honig is a very interesting character, isn't he? <laughs> Capitalist big Jonathan Honig, you're on. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Great to be with you, Dan. You know, I'm freaking offended by that. I mean, to call someone, to call an organization racist like that, I mean, that's a really serious, I think, disgusting accusation, especially, Amy, as you said. I mean, look, they are closing these stores. Companies are closing stores because they are unprofitable and because the areas are ridden with crime. How can they expect them to stay open, to be burglarized, you know, week after week after week? And, you know, the politicians, instead of haranguing Walgreens, maybe they should work on fixing the crime that's prompting so many of these businesses to leave. It's not even safe for the employees. You know, she's harping about, you know, people are left unemployed. Those employees weren't safe working at those stores. 
Yeah, I mean, really tremendously offensive. And of course, uh, talk about having an impact on jobs, having an impact on real estate values. Look, we've seen this death spiral in San Francisco, which is basically empty. If you've walked through downtown Chicago, it's increasingly empty. And, you know, this is not a result of greedy corporate businesses. They're the ones who want to open up on these uh, on these uh, avenues and boulevards across the country in the major cities. The leftist policies that are driving up the crime and driving out not just the businesses, but the affluent Americans and the affluent uh, citizens who live and work there. Uh, so uh, UPS announced they're laying off uh, 12,000 people. This was this was after, I mean, just a, a few months removed from the headlines about, oh, uh, the uh, union negotiated uh, better pay and hours, and uh, after a tough, protracted negotiation, the so another union victory, and then you turn around. Okay, well, here's your union victory. Now we kind of got a billion dollars from our bottom line, so that means 12,000 people go. PayPal is also cutting 10% of its workforce, I saw. So as we were talking about with Steve Moore yesterday, that's all good news to Jay Powell because isn't that what Jay Powell wanted? Uh, we need to see, uh, you know, five, six million Americans put out of work so we get uh, inflation down. Well, you know, Dan, who wants to see inflation down, and his goal is 2%. But you're absolutely spot on that what we're seeing more and more is exactly that pretty significant job losses. And it's not just some of those companies and uh, UPS and also a lot of the high tech companies that are shedding jobs. It's just the economy writ large. Interesting number out yesterday, what they call private payroll growth. Uh, The market had expected 158 new thousands added uh, jobs added only about 100,000 new jobs added in the first month of 2024. So, you know, one of the two things holding up the economy for basically years now has been consumer spending and jobs. And given the record amount of debt now being held by Americans and the slowing job market, there's indications that the economy writ large is really starting to fade. Uh, Speaking of unions, I mean, I just (laughs) I just have to get this story in because it's just so much fun. Uh, Gregory Pratt who fundraises from the people that he covers, but that's not a violation of journalistic no, ethics anymore. No. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the, this is a historic day. The Chicago Tribune newsroom is walking out on strike for 24 hours uh, because they've been trying to fight for a fair contract. The Guild uh, to the Chicago Tribune been fighting for, trying to fight for a fair contract for 20, since 2018, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Gregory Pratt posts on Twitter, don't read the paper or website tomorrow. Well, I haven't read it for years, but now I'm going to read it today. Yeah, now I see a spike in readership for the Chicago Tribune. I mean, they already and, put out a Chicago Tribune blast, though. When they're saying don't read it, they're already they because they send a blast out every day. They put it out. I thought they were going to not put it out today. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. But I mean, uh, the, 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 these journalists. I mean, this is great. The union uh, and and boy Alden may might, by rethinking their acquisition, and they're going to rally at five sixty uh, West Grand this morning too. Boy, a rally of journalists. I can't wait to see the groundswell of support <laughs> to rally with the Chicago Tribune <laughs> Guildman. Members, uh, Jonathan, unionization just generally, and please, please feel free to pile on with the ridicule. <laughs> well, Dan, look, the irony is you know, unionization is is down. It's actually down. We, unions had a lot of so-called victories last year. I don't know what kind of a victory it is if people end up, as you're pointing out, losing their job. But you know, unions had some victories last year. At the same time, union membership is near an all-time low in this country. 
more and more Americans realize that long-term union uh, uh, membership does not benefit them, whether it's you know the automakers, whether it's the airlines, and certainly uh, the public sector education sector. You know, it's been harder and harder the more unions have gotten involved. In fact, that's the only place that union membership, Dan and Amy, is growing within the public sector, and that's what really worries me long-term. I mean, we're seeing uh, you know the pension uh, prices pile up. We're seeing you know the obligations for municipal governments pile up, and a lot of it has to do with unreasonable contracts brought on by public sector unions. So um, I want to go back to just Jay Powell for just a second, because I, I, we, we were sort of dancing around it, but I want to get your reaction to the uh, market's reaction to him essentially saying we're not going to be ready to start cutting rates in March as people had hoped and, and what that portends for the next couple of quarters. Yeah, well, Dan, I have to say, I've, I've been wrong about the economy. I've been very nervous, you know, given so many of the economic indicators, and the economy has been relatively strong. But look, you have to look at the long term when it comes to these things. And even back to the 1970s, Gerald Ford thought that they had inflation licked back in 1974, 1975. Of course, under Carter, it roared up again pretty dramatically and really didn't start coming down uh, back until, uh, you know, the early part of, uh, of uh, 19, the early 1980s. So I think Powell is right to be on guard with inflation. The truth is, is that the average American, Dan, which in Dan and Amy, which is the economy, you know, we talk about the economy like it's some spreadsheet out there. This is average, ever, average everyday Americans. More and more, the job market is getting scarce. And simply the fact that numbers coming down, Dan, isn't being reflected in everyday Americans' lives. We're still spending on average about ten to $12,000 more a year on just the everyday uh, costs of goods and services that we did two years ago. That's real money for Americans who might only make fifty or $60,000. So have we avoided a recession? I, I don't think TVD. so. I mean, for, one, for one thing, Amy, I mean, the average American has been in a recession, even though that they haven't called it in Washington, D.C. We've got a record number of what they call hardship withdrawals from people's 401ks. So record debt, mm-hmm. record hardship withdrawals. You know, Americans are hurting. I'm glad the president is taking a victory lap, but I worry about the next couple of years, you know, given the amount of spending and the amount of economic damage that's already been done. Well, um, we, we've spent a lot of time over the last several months talking about uh, you know food prices, the price at the pump. You, you just mentioned goods and services. Um, how about uh, how about your cost of living uh, in terms of your home uh, and rents in terms of the uh, you know trying to finance uh, the spike in rents in this country? Yeah, it's pretty incredible, Dan. There was a stat out this week, actually. Half of renters in the United States now can't afford. They cannot afford to pay their rent. Rents have been surging. The average median rent is about seventeen hundred dollars and seventeen thirteen one thousand seven hundred and thirteen dollars. It's down about four hundred dollars from November, but it's still up twenty two percent from just two years ago. So you know, you've got record home prices, which is good for those who own, but at the same time, record rent prices. And Dan, just record prices, especially for goods and services. You know, if you've got a child, you're spending on average of $18,000 a year. Some Americans, about a quarter, are spending over $36,000 a year. You could basically get a college degree for that amount. So you've got so many of those household expenses, despite the fact that maybe your eggs and butter are coming down, continue to climb. All right. Uh, I have to ask you about this uh, new book. Um, yes. The obje- I mean, essentially the objectivist perspective on 
pet ownership, which I'm I'm intrigued by. So the book is Can You Really Love a Dog? Leonard Peikoff and Ayn Rand on Pets. Um, and uh, the intro is by you. And so, so um, what? Uh, give give us some sort of fascinating insight about uh, the intersection between objectivism and loving your 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 dog. Sure, sure, Dan. I mean, look. Well, the fascinating thing is, every, year after year, every year, our love with our pets, you know, continues seemingly to grow. And you see that by spending on pets. I mean, no matter what the economy, Americans spend more and more on their pets every year, and pets become a bigger and bigger part of our lives. So, you know. Uh, People think of Ayn Rand and objectivism as this mean old woman who didn't love anything. Just the opposite is true. Ayn Rand valued her pets dramatically. She loved her pets just like her number one student, Leonard Peikoff, loves his dog, and so many of us do. But what makes that love of our animals unique? What makes it special than, for example, our love of our our children or our family or our friends? Um, So this book delves into that, the philosophical genesis, if you will, of our relationship and our love with animals. So whether you've got a dog, a cat, or thinking about getting one, this is going to be a a book that's going to strengthen your relationship. Can you really love a dog? Leonard Peikoff and Ayn Rand on on pets. It's at Amazon.com. Do you have a dog? Yeah, I, I have a dog I love very much. And you know what? It's a selfish relationship, Amy. I mean, here's why. It's like, if you're petting your dog, and then mm-hmm. you realize, all right, I got to go up and, uh, you know, do my homework or something. The dog doesn't hold it against you. The dog says, all right, you know, that's it. No hard feeling. Mm. We have this wonderfully selfish relationship with our animals. They tell you what they want. We tell them what we want. And we love them even more. Because- see, I mean, everything, well, I is, every, everything is analyzed through objectives. And I love it. See, you see what he did there, Amy. He yeah. just worked in Ayn Rand's virtue of selfishness into the discussion about can you really love a dog? Well, I mean, that's would a- you want a would you want a dog that said, "Look, I really don't feel like being pet right now, but God, you know, I'm going to come over." No, you want a dog that loves you for who you are, and our animals really do. <laughs> I mean, your animals don't love you just because you feed them; they love you for your the unique language you speak, the unique uh, games that you play, that we develop a, a really unusual relationship that's different from anyone else in our family. So, well, can you really love a dog? We answer that question in the book. I got to tell you, but your dogs let you know if they want something. And if I'm on my phone, Big Bubba Bear will paw my hand until I put that phone down and give him loving with both hands. Isn't it weird? That's why you need to have a tranquilizer gun at the ready. Oh. <laughs> Stop it, <dude. laughs> Well, I'm going to ask you, if, Amy, if one of the questions we ask in the book is that they call the trolley problem or the trolley issue. I mean, if, if you saw, you, were the, you know, your, your dog was drowning and a stranger was drowning you know, look, we're talking about a human being here and your dog. Who would you save if you could yeah. only save one? Not hard. That's a, uh, come on. That, uh, Not easy. No, I mean, don't that's make easy. me go on record, but the, yeah, that's a, a difficult decision to make. Yeah. I mean, and most people would say exactly that. If a, if a human being, if a stranger, maybe perhaps if a child was drowning and their dog, they'd save their dogs. It says so much about the really true, valuable relationships we have with so, them. Uh, so well, I'd I, save I, my I, children first. <laughs> Well, that's that's yeah. wonderful. Um, so, uh, so, so, with respect to Rand, um, let me guess the let me guess the pets that Ayn Rand owned. Oh, boy, um, boy. She owned a cockatiel, and I'm gonna. He hasn't say, read the book yet because it's still on his desk at work. I'm gonna say ferrets. No, no, she was a cat. Uh, oh, of she course loved she was. Oh, of course she was. In fact, Dan, you know there was a there was a. a, a special on in the early 1970s 
with a character, kind of a Carol Baskin, who lived out in the, the forest or <laughs> lived out Baskin. in, in the, the rural area with a bunch of cats. And Ayn Rand turned to an associate and said, you know, if I wasn't a philosopher living in the city, that would be me right now. And we've all had that, you know, those of us who are pet lovers think, oh, I'd love to live on a farm with, you know, three yeah. or four or five big dogs. So, you know, Rand loved her pets. And in fact, there's a scene in the book that, you know, tells out what happens when her beloved cat was dying. And she looks to the vet and she says, you know, doctor, why me? Why my cat? We've all had that experience, even if you're a world-renowned philosopher. So it makes that relationship we have with our pets so important. And that's what Can You Really Love a Dog is about. All right. The closest that an objectivist will come to sentimentality. Jonathan Honig, founding <laughs> member of the Capitalist Big Hedge Fund, Fox News contributor, co-publisher of the recently released Can You Really Love a Dog? Leonard Peikoff and Ayn Rand on Pets. Cap Pig, Jonathan Honig, thank you. Thanks. All right, be well. (laughs) You too, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So as uh, we discussed a bit earlier in the program, another high school shooting, a shooting involving high school victims, uh, second in two weeks, this outside of Sun High School where three kids were shot, one 16-year-old dead, targeted shooting. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was enough for a BLM Brandon to actually show up and address the issue. And this is what he said. The loss of life is horrific under all circumstances, but it is especially harsh when our young people are targeted. By other young people, ostensibly, he right. went on. We're not going to allow these acts of terror to disrupt our livelihoods. My children will be in school tomorrow, and children across this city will be in schools tomorrow. And we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that our young people are safe. And a police source confirmed with me. I mean, we knew it was a targeted shooting, but it was gangbangers retaliating against other gangbangers. Yeah. Well, uh, something else, too. Uh, We're going to do everything in our power to ensure that our kids are safe. And then, as Mike Scott's been reporting all morning, uh, word has come down that he is uh, opposed to the police presence in CPS schools. Right. He's been like that the whole time. So, so it's ridiculous. So the, uh, they say we're going you know, to, you heard the police chief selling, say we're going to have more presence at this school and, and CPS schools. And then the mayor says the opposite in the next breath. Uh, they don't want police in the schools. They want them outside of the schools. But why not do both? We used, uh, to have, we used to have officers in the school, and they were great. I loved them. And they were a great resource, and they were, you know, I, I just, police became villainized during BLM, and they never got their reputation back. Well, here's the good news. The good news, as we have been told by BLM Brandon and uh, Governor Jelly Belly, is that their policies are working, the violence is on the wane. And so, as uh, he said yesterday outside of Sun High School, you know, let's just get back to business. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Raphael Mangual, Senior Fellow and the Head of Research for the Manhattan Institute's Policing and Public Safety Initiative, also the author of the book Criminal Injustice, What the Push for Mass Decarceration and Depolicing Gets Wrong and Who It Hurts Most. Raphael, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me back. 
So um, just on the matter, since it's topical of, of police and police presence in schools, particularly schools and urban centers that have um, a higher incidence of violent crime in the neighborhoods that surround them, um, what's your reaction to this sort of confused policy emanating from City Hall in Chicago? I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, there's a large body of research that tells us very clearly that expanding police presence reduces crime, particularly through the mechanism of deterrence. There's no reason to think that that wouldn't also be true in and around our schools. What these activists do is that they hang their hats on these viral incidents where a school resource officer happens to use physical force against a student on camera, and it doesn't look good, and they use that to you know, smear the entire enterprise. And they say, well, this is a common occurrence. We have to therefore protect our kids from the real threat, which are the school resource officers. And so we should take these you know, bias agents of the state, these occupiers uh, off campus. The reality, of course, is that the data don't support that narrative at all. I mean, in New York City, for example, a school resource officer is actually more likely to be injured by a student than a student is to be injured by a school resource officer. Um, and so you know, it's just part and parcel of the broader debate about policing and criminal justice. You know, the, there's a lot of incoherence on the left, right? You'll hear uh, uh, people on the left say, you know, we can't arrest our way out of a, a crime problem. But, you know, in the gun control debate, we'll say that, you know, we can absolutely regulate ourselves out of this problem. Um, you know, they, they, they say, you know, that, that we need more more gun rules, but, you know, they, when it comes time for enforcement, uh, they're nowhere to be found in the courtrooms. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I've stopped trying to, to sort of reconcile uh, the positions of, of the urban American left and, you know, have just sort of resolved to, to point out where they're wrong. And it's so frustrating, too, because when they show those videos of, you know, resource officers taking down a student, they don't show what happened before the takedown, like the reason up to that. So in your estimates, what's the best uh, solution to crime in the short term? The same things that's proven to be a solution to crime in the short term throughout American history, and that is a combination of policing, aggressive prosecution, and healthy doses of incarceration, targeted particularly at the people who are most likely to drive the most serious kinds of crimes and or who are engaging in other kinds of crimes at significantly high rates. Right? And it's not really that hard, particularly in cities like Chicago, to sort of figure out who those folks are. I mean, the police officers know. Right? We see it all the time. I mean, you know, I, one of my favorite accounts to follow on, on Twitter is CWB Chicago, which just does an absolutely fantastic job of documenting these cases where you have example after example of individuals who have 10, 20, 30, 100 prior arrests. You know, how about we start there? How about, you know, it, it, it becomes impossible to rack up 50 arrests in a five-year period in the city of Chicago because long before that point, we actually put somebody behind bars for a number of years. You know, that's, that's really the combination that, that is at the root of any solution. The, the, the sort of, um, I can't even really think of the right word for it, but the, the, the hubris of people like Brandon Johnson to think that they can solve the crime problem through some new novel way that's going to, you know, uh, eliminate uh, problems that are proven to be intractable, like poverty and unemployment and, you know, disinvestment, that they're just going to spend their way out of this problem. And, you know, there's no evidence for this whatsoever. The idea that they have figured out, A, what the root causes of crime are, and B, 
a scalable way to address those root causes in the short term is nonsense. Nobody has that answer. And yet the public continues to, to give him enough of a pass that, you know, people like Johnson get away with it. Enforcement of the law against habitual criminals. God, that's just that is just crazy enough to work, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, you, I wanted to get your take on something else, too, since you sort of, you know, you're, you're as you say, you've resigned yourself to just pointing out where uh, the uh, the urban left is wrong and distilling their um, misunderstandings. Uh, we had this uh, state legislator uh, introduce legislation uh, this week that uh, was oh, making God. the rounds. He's sort of walked away from it now because of the public response. But it gives you an idea of the mentality. This is the same legislator who was the lead sponsor of the Safety Act, the end of cash bail in Illinois. Uh, and his latest and greatest proposal was to essentially eliminate uh, police traffic stops by eliminating moving violations short of a DUI. So speeding, taillight, registration, Retired, yeah. all that, all that stuff. just gone. There, there, there's no penalties for those things, so there's no need for any police stops. So the... the um, you know, what what's the the sort of the underlying premises of somebody who would introduce legislation like that? I mean, that seems to be like a good representative of the mentality that is afflicting urban centers. Yeah, I mean, well, these are people who don't know anything about crime and how it actually works. Right. I mean, the the, the rationale for something like that would be like, you know, you, I can imagine him already saying this. Well, you know, we already have really serious problems in the city and we don't need police wasting their time on traffic enforcement. They should be spending their time on on pursuing, you know, violent criminals and and closing the the gap on, on the clearance rate for serious crimes. What people like that don't understand is that there's an overlap between the people who engage in low level offending, including traffic violations, and the people who engage in really serious crime. I mean, I, I don't know what the stats are in the city of Chicago, but I can tell you that in New York, some forty percent of all gun arrests originate as traffic stops. Mm. Gee. You know, it actually wow. turns out that the people break the law and you stop them for it. Sometimes you discover that they're breaking other laws, more serious ones. And and, and God knows how many traffic stops end up, to, you know, with the police officer discovering uh, an open warrant or somebody who's wanted uh, for some reason in the car. Right? Yeah. Like, they just I mean, don't understand the elements of a broader enforcement program that is absolutely necessary for tackling the serious violence problem in cities like Chicago, New York, L.A. I just say, look at Timothy McVeigh. I mean, they pulled him over because he had an expired plate, and he was That's the right. Oklahoma City bomber. So I'm glad it's yep. going and nowhere. These individuals would have the public lose out on all the benefits associated with those programs. Oh, and by the way, research shows time and again that keeping police involved in traffic enforcement actually reduces traffic fatalities and injuries. It turns out that people also respond to the very same incentives on the street with respect to, you know, more conventional forms of crime when they see police in the same way that they do on the highways. So, you know, th there really isn't any kind of coherent case for doing this other than, you know, saying, well, look, you know, I'm, I'm serving the interests of the radical left here that ultimately wants to defund or dismantle or abolish the police, but I'm not willing to go that far, so I'm just going to throw them yet another bone. And, you know, let the bodies pile up on the side because no one's actually going to hold me accountable. Raphael Mangual, senior fellow, head of research for the Manhattan Institute's Institute of Policing and Public Safety, uh, that initiative. Also the author of Criminal Injustice, 
what the push for mass decarceration and de-policing gets wrong and who it hurts most. Raphael, thanks as always. Thank you. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Hey, Dan, we got a text message, a page from Evanston. Evanston went into a free fall when they shut down the keg. Time to wake up and get <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> I remember the keg. I was there. I was at Northwestern when the keg was still in operation. Oh, yeah. Uh, wanted to get uh, to this, uh, you know, the big announcement that Biden a year later after the derailment, train derailment and chemical spill is going to be heading to East Palestine, Ohio at some point. Um, here's uh, local business owner DJ Yokely on the president's pending visit. The American people have awakened to realize that our, the leader of our country did not show up to the greatest catastrophe of 2023. And now he's going to show up because it is an election year. Uh, and obviously the polls show that, that President Trump uh, came and supported us when he didn't have to. And, and I think we saw right through it from the beginning and, and not to make it political because I will support any president that serves our country because otherwise it's like, again, I've said on your program before, it's like rooting against your favorite team's quarterback Great. just to see the backup. I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a scenario where we know what he's doing. The American people see it. And right. now it's, hey, we have to go visit East Palestine because we haven't done that yet and check, right. the, check it off the yeah. box. Yeah. And a better, stronger leader already visited that town and that's Trump. Boom. Boom. All right. <laughs> Thanks to Justin Boom goes the dynamite. Yes. Justin Kozik and Quinn McCarthy. Today, enjoy your sunshine and very warm weather. A high of 50 degrees. It is. Hear about the big stories of the day. Then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.